five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to Episode seven. Seven. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Hardest one. Keep those episodes rolling. Seven. We thought six was hard. There's this idea by Seth Godin, right, that you were saying, Mm -hmm. and he talks about what again? Just remind me one more time. Quitting isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes quitting is the smartest thing you can do. Mm -hmm. If you're working on a podcast that isn't interesting and people aren't listening and you're putting it, trying different stuff, and it doesn't work, mm-hmm. um, quitting the podcast and trying something new is the smartest thing you could do if you want to be successful. Right. Um, knowing how to get through that dip and whether to quit or not is the difference, he says, between those who are successful and those who aren't. Right, and alternatively, you have to just be able to assess properly if you're in the dip that's going to lead to the launch right. or if you're in a dip that's indefinite right. because it's not right. working. I guess, I guess maybe it's called a dip because... If it's working, it's just a dip. Mm-hmm. If it's not working, it's not a dip. It's just kind of this. It's where you belong. It's where down. it belongs. Right. But the thing is, the real question uh, ultimately is how does one decide from a self awareness standpoint right. where they're at in the process? Because you don't want to quit. You're like, I'll just be successful if I stick it out long enough. But that's dangerous advice for people who aren't assessing what they're doing properly and how it's engaging with the world. I guess you right. have to look at the metrics and you have to look at not the numbers, but. The way I look at it is when one person reacts to one of our things mm-hmm. who doesn't know us and has no skin in the game and they've commented on a few videos and said something and they say something, then it's, and they say like, this is really, really interesting. I love listening to this. So that's one person. And if it's a matter of other, you know, let's say that you multiply that by 10, like they're representing a certain amount right. of people where they have no reason to even engage or comment or reach out. Um, and even if it's a small pool, it's sort of like, you know, when they do a screen test for certain people, like a, a small group, what do yeah. they call that? When they, when they focus group, focus group, when you have a focus group, you're trying to like represent how a population at large would respond to something. Right. So I feel like we have our focus group and that focus group right. has been responding pretty nicely. Right. Our focus group is our friends and your followers, basically uh-huh. uh, your TikTok followers. Right. And yeah, and I think the response has been like, this is cool. Keep yeah. going. Right. Right. So I guess that's, right. you know, if you're in the dip. Right. And all that has to do is that focus group has to keep growing. Yeah. But it's not that what you're doing isn't working. Yeah. It just needs to consistently right. keep on reaching people. I do that all the time, actually. I think, like, especially with, like, writing stuff and career stuff. And I was doing this with relationships also mm-hmm. um, before I met Sarah, which is, like, if I project how I'm doing right now out 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. do I, is, is it likely that something good will happen? Or, like, if it... it if I project this out in 10 years, do I think I'm going to get lucky and, and things will, will go well? Or do I project this out 10 years and I, and I just can't see if something doesn't drastically change, like um, how I'm going to get what I want? So let's say, you know, you're dating mm-hmm. and you can't get past the first date and you're, and, or you're dating and like you have like a nice, you have like nice long relationships. You just kind of haven't like found the right one yet. Mm-hmm. But if you keep doing that, eventually you'll find someone that works. But if you can't get past the first date with anybody, it's like I'm just going to keep on going for, on first dates for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. And if something doesn't drastically change, if, if I don't change something drastically, this isn't a dip. This is like not You're working. You're saying the pattern of just first dating? Or the pattern? No, 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 the the pattern pattern of like, um, this isn't trending in the right direction. Having like 
good, solid, nice relationships, healthy relationships, something happens where it just, just doesn't quite work. So like you can't like whatever tie the knot with. So you can't like right. you're you're not like if you want to get married, you're not married yet or whatever it is. Um, but if it's like I I'm I'm only going on first dates, mm-hmm. no one wants to go on a second date with me. Wow. Like if this just keeps happening for the next fifteen years, I'm not gonna get like lucky and one of them will work out. It's just something has to drastically change. Right. You Meaning if you're not getting past first dates, you're doing something. With anybody. That's a good indicator that maybe right. there's something you need to check. Right, right. So right, like so with writing, like, you know, I'm writing good screenplays. People are responding well. No one, like, wants to make something yet. But, like, eventually, if I keep doing this, someone will say yes, uh, probably. So you're getting good responses in right. the micro. And in the macro, you're getting good <laughs> responses in the micro. Right. So that means that with time and just patience it, it and could the work, opportunity could, will come about that the right thing right. has to happen. It, you just have to be in right. the game. It might, it might come about. Right. Whereas if I was writing screenplays and I can't even get anyone to read them, mm-hmm. something good... It's the right. It's You've not going to maybe right. happen. It's not going to happen. Right. 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 If it's the same thing with any art form, if you're writing songs and you're every time you play a song for one person, they mm-hmm. go, "Oh my god!" Or and they're not related to you, meaning they have no other interest in making you feel good about it. Or you're getting a reaction that's positive. It's just about putting the time in so that you get more reach. Right. You know. I, on the dating thing, I think it's interesting that those might have been a weird example. No, it's not though, because I think it. The way I look at it is, it's like. I feel like with people, the stuff on paper matters in the long run, mm-hmm. and the stuff like day to day matters in the short run. What do you mean? Like the values, what somebody will eventually want, because we're talking about projection mm-hmm. onto the future. So like you're not like <coughs> things on paper. Like, do you share the same values? Do you have the same outlook? Like, do you want the same things out of you know your direction in life? You know, whether it's kids and family mm-hmm. and religion and all those kinds of things. Like on paper, it, it, if you're dating in college, that stuff isn't so relevant yet, mm-hmm. but it will be. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to set yourself up for something that will eventually not work out because on paper you were not on the same page right. as to what you wanted. But the the important thing is probably that day-to-day experience you have with somebody. And right. if that vibe is really strong, as long as you know down the road you're not going to necessarily butt heads on the, on the macro big things, mm-hmm. right? Like if somebody's, you know doesn't want children and you want children or something like that. It's like big things that will become relevant eventually. Yeah. If you're like, yeah, we're, we're on the same page there too. If that's not so relevant yet. We don't have those things if we're just starting to date. But this is going to be one of the weirdest people to quote here. But I, <laughs> I saw Dennis Prager is giving that, dating is that advice. Is for you? This, you're a fan, right? I am, but dating advice from him is something I, I would never really necessarily recommend just because right. of the vibe. He's the one billion sexiest man alive. People just named He was him. giving dating advice and he just said, basically, if you have to enjoy each other, I don't even know if that's a good impression, but it always sounds like there's marbles in his mouth. The bastard of liberal thinking. The, the mouth. I, I always feel like he's gargling water, like leftover. The left, like a pelican. The left, just doesn't in his... care, the left doesn't care about America. It doesn't care about the United States. I had COVID and I didn't get the vaccine. I took monoclonal antibodies. You know what I mean? He gave a video about dating, but he said, it's not values. It's not these things that people say. You have to enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. That was valid. You have to enjoy each other. Wow. The vibe has to be good on a day to day. I remember early days when we would talk about this stuff. I'd be like, how's the vibe? Like, is that really good? Because then you can project that vibe. Yeah. Like, if it's good today, and things are like, it's good report overall, and then you can get through some of the, you know, dicey stuff, yeah. and you're like overall on the same page in terms of where you want things to go. I just asked Sarah this question 
Um, I was going to make it into a segment, but I guess I can just ask it to you now. Mm. And the fact that Sarah didn't just completely dismiss me when I asked, but I was like, Sarah, would you stay with me if I had a back to the future complex where I legitimately believed that our daughter was my mother? Okay. But, but it never, ever came up, ever. I never talked about it. I, I never mentioned it. It never made a difference. But you just knew that I believed our daughter was my mother. <laughs> what, what, what compelled you to this? I don't know. And that, I don't know. And she said, she said it, 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 would, be, it would be something she'd have to think about. And she couldn't have taken a question like that, seriously. <laughs> no, no, no. She didn't take it so seriously, but she laughed. And then that, it's nice to be with, with someone who laughs. And then, well, and then I was like, what if it never came up, but I was part of a community of other men <laughs> that also believed their daughters were their mothers but in some sort of back to the future situation? Uh-huh. I guess it wouldn't really matter. It's just a weird belief. We right. all have weird beliefs. But could you be with someone who believes something that? I guess that's you, strange. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I watched this Mark Norman clip of uh, stand up, and he was talking about religion, and he was like, <clears throat> he's like, hey, you know, I, I went to Catholic school, went in believer, came out an atheist. Oh, hey, oh, hey. You know, came out an atheist. He says, it's just weird that we believe in religion. Religion's kind of weird, you know. Why do, why do we believe in religion and not magic? You know what I mean? We don't believe magic is real. Magician comes, takes the bunny, pulls it out of a hat. What if instead of pulling the bunny out of a hat, he just said, bunny's in there. <laughs> Trust me. Everyone's like, I don't see the bunny. He's like, it's in there. You just got to believe. <laughs> Everyone's like, I don't believe it. You're going to hell. <laughs> um, That's funny. But the point is, it's an interesting question in a serious way of how much beliefs really matter. Like right. even the weirdest ones. You were just testing how weird you could be with uh, yeah, for yeah, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's what I was the, testing. That's the essence of the yeah. question. Yeah. I'm going to compulsively check this audio so we don't lose it. Because anyway, you were just basically testing how weird of yourself, the weirdest manifestation of self you could imagine in right. a realistic <laughs> way. And if that's still okay with her, then that's like true love. Right, because <laughs> that's that's the fucking weirdest thing I've ever heard. And you're just like, like you thought it through to the core that it was so legitimate. You were part of a community of dudes who believed this, right? And, and if we got together and discussed it with each other, but not with anyone. And else. And because that's that's fiction, it's not real. But if she could be down with that, then any amount of weirdness internally with you, yeah. she'd be okay with. But and it, you could feel safe. It starts with asking the question, right? And she she she's okay with the and question. She enjoyed the question. She enjoyed the question. Was it? How did it? When we <laughs> when we were sitting on the couch, she's just like. What was they doing? How does she react to this when you when you um, when you Weberize her like crazy? Because that says <laughs> that's only in your mind. Only you could put that together. I don't remember how it happened. I think you know because we maybe because we call each other. You know, when I'm talking to our daughter, I'll be like, mm. "Give this to mommy." Mm -hmm. I might have like referred to my daughter as mommy, and then you and had then a whole... like, "What if I really thought she was my mother?" <laughs> In Back to the Future, it's that... Yeah, I don't even know if it lines up. It's not that's true. That's not the sequence of it. It's that he went back to his own mother. To get his parents to have sex with each other. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <And laughs> that was did you ever mission. see the college humor spoof where instead of doing that, he like she comes on to him. She's like, remember, she goes, Marty, for some reason, I feel like I'm, I'm kissing my brother or something. I'm sorry. But in the college humor version, they just fuck. <laughs> he goes... 
Oh, you had sex with her, Marty. What are you doing? <laughs> well, there's, Did there's, you see that one? I don't think I saw that. I was like, I'm sorry, Doc. She came on to me. Marty, what are you doing? You had sex with your mother. And he goes, I'm sorry, Doc. She came on to me. You have to go back and fix it. So he goes back. It's a college humor bit. On, uh, uh, he goes back. And she comes on to me. And then, he, and then the new Marty comes back. And she goes, wait. He's like, you can't do this, Marty. He goes, there's two of you? What do you mean you both had sex with her? You're going to some money. And it just keeps happening. I think Family Guy did a thing where... You know, his parents have Marty, and, and the dad's like, you know, Marty looks exactly like that guy from high school. Remember that guy, Marty? Why does our son look exactly like him? Yeah, like putting people, why did they never put this together? Yeah. Like, this guy was that guy right. that they eventually grew up to be. That's pretty good. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Let's acknowledge, I'm fully aware yeah. that I look like absolute shit. I feel like I'm this, I feel like I look like David Tell. Yeah. But like hipsterized a little bit. Mm-hmm. You look um, like I dragged you. Like you didn't want to do this today, but I'm forced. Yeah, to I don't know what it is. Like you know, there's that fine line in trying to like go cash. Mm-hmm. And I, try, I'm trying. You know, the, I'm having an issue with beanies because <coughs> every and I can't wear a beanie anymore. Why not? Because everyone thinks I'm Gary V when I put on a beanie. Uh, it's become a problem. But I found this one, and it's getting cold. You know, if you're and walking I, on the street with a beanie, someone will go, "Hey, Gary V." Well, the other one, that gray one, I wear for yeah. all the bits. I can't like put that on even right. myself. You don't take I'm yourself just, like, seriously. Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully this one will work out. And I, I got the looks, glasses I today. Okay. I got the glasses today, yeah. which I kind of like, but like I can't wear glasses all day. They keep me tired, and they start slipping down the nosey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm it's in the sweater also. This the gray and black. Yeah, it just looks like you're not you're not trying. Not, not, yeah, yeah. You borrowed that from me though. Yeah, but I needed it because yeah. it's cold in here. It's cold in here. Um, new studio. But uh, I need all new clothes. Yeah. We were talking about that before yeah. when I came here. Part, the part of the problem is uh, I haven't bought I haven't bought. Button, button, yeah. Bot- button, apostrophe and apostrophe. Button, button. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that real or are yeah, you messing? B o u g h t i n apostrophe. How would you say this with an accent though? Button, button. <laughs> button. <laughs> um, I haven't bought. I thought I thought I haven't bought. I haven't bought. Yeah, I think I think so too. Yeah. Should we go to Grammarly. dot com and look it up? Is that is that is that a thing? Grammarly? Yeah. I don't use it, but it's in people's Gmail. <laughs> it's a thing. Oh, it'll like oh that's where the You know the those ads Gram- Grammarly.com will help you with your email. So you can like put it as a oh. Chrome extension and it fixes things in your email. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um I was Wait, saying yeah. I haven't bought clothes <laughs> in in like years to the point where the stuff that was like the go to stuff. Yeah. It, it all got so small. Yeah. They must have shrunk. <laughs> It's one of those things where, like, it's weight gain and and body is telling you it's not. It, I'm not also, sure if it's my age, yeah. my body size, body type, but they the, do shrink. Also, things do shrink. Yeah, if that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> nothing grows. Everything just shrinks. Well, I just bought this from Uniqlo, yeah. and and I'm like, I'm like, oh, by next year it's gonna be like small. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it, it laundering when, clothes when changes buy, them. When laundering. you buy a shirt for twenty five dollars, mm-hmm. it it's probably should only last you one winter, and that's it. Yeah, you're not buying. And then I went to like LLB, and the shirt's like ninety five dollars, mm-hmm. but you'll have that the rest of your life. Right. So I think so. It's possible your clothes are just getting smaller. I, you are gaining weight. I'm not saying you're not. Thank getting you. Weight. Yes, yes, yes. You don't look good, but right, right. But your clothes may also be right. getting smaller. Having moved to the East Coast, I'm having, I'm so worried about just schlubbing out. You know. Um, would you not do that in, on the West Coast? I would. I got fat there too, but at least tan and fat. 
<laughs> but no, you, 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 there is a little bit of a you look beauty. Healthy. There's a little bit of a beauty or beauty conscious thing in LA more. You're, yeah. it's, it's, like imagine it's summer all year here. It's like people are outdoors more. Right. They're wearing less clothing. You're like you're wearing short polos all the time yeah. and things like that. It just makes you a little bit more like that. And even the Jews are just a little yeah. bit less. <laughs> I get so excited actually when it gets cold because I know I can put an yes. extra layer on and just sort of like yeah, just sort of like feel confident again, <laughs> grow into it, you <laughs> my know? body. Um, but it's a funny thing, you know when like you know you get to that point in your life where you're like, if I don't absolutely <coughs> love this shirt or that shirt or those pants, I'm never wearing them. Like you learn yeah. about yourself that the ones that aren't like a plus, perfect, perfect, perfect fitting, you're never gonna wear. Just so now them. I have all these things. I'm like, I have to just. Donate all of these clothes and get rid of everything that I don't touch. Yeah, and I only wear like a couple of things. So I, I'm, I that whole argument for minimalism in wardrobe and just having a few things yeah. that you just wear, it's probably a good thing. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's where a first, you, that's a first you, world problem. Where right do you there. go for what's shopping? Your, what's your go-to? I don't even know anymore. I'm lost. I used to do the typical this like French place, Banana Republic. <laughs> um, Zara really makes me feel awful about yeah, myself. Yeah, for very thin people. Thin, thin, thin. Yeah. H&M, I could never do a pair of pants there, but the hoodies and stuff are good. I, I like H&M, mm-hmm. and it doesn't like, and not you don't see like a T-shirt for 75 bucks. Mm-hmm. So I like H&M, but the pants are shameful for me. I can't even fit them above my knees. Yeah. <laughs> like a fitting room in H&M for me with pants. <laughs> very. You have to ask the like attendant to help uh, you get them off. <laughs> they don't go above my knees. My quads are way, are not European. You know how like there are people with Europeans with quads yeah. who are thinner than my calves. You know, like mm-hmm. you can basically see the whole skeletal leg inside those jeans in the discotheque. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went to Zara. Just awful. Everything there. Yeah. I'm like, I hate this place. This is just awful. You know what I do? I just Google blue shirt mm-hmm. and then I go on Facebook and whatever uh, companies advertise me, I just buy that blue. <laughs> Blue shirt. I'm telling you, man, Google something, and immediately you'll start getting ads from like blue shirt company, the perfect blue shirt. Because, yeah, but I would never think to to Google like just blue shirt. Like, how, how do you? Well, even if you shop for a blue shirt on like Banana Republic, they start coming to you. Instagram is they ha- there's this really like. I think we're going to look back at Instagram in, in in like 15 years and be like, how is that advertising policy legal? Mm-hmm. Where y- you'll buy. Literally, if if you shop for blue shirt on like Nordstrom, let's just say, there there are people who figured out like if we get data of men who are buying blue shirts, we can start a company called theperfectbluesshirt.com. We'll make really nice ads. We'll get the right models and everything will look really, really legit. Mm. We'll call theperfectbluesshirt.com and serve those ads to people on Instagram. And, and they're like, oh, wow, this is exactly what I want. And then the stuff is just like garbage, just mm-hmm. absolute garbage. And they send it to you and it's like, it's like so cheap, it's almost not even worth returning. Right. Um, and this stuff happens all the time. Like if something looks too good to be true on Instagram, it's definitely too good to be true. But you know what I think? Here's my, here's my hot take. We are so much less exposed to commercials today in the traditional sense than we used to be. Like TV we, commercials. We are a commercial-free society now. We don't have to watch commercials anymore. Back in the you day... You have to watch five seconds of commercials. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Even that, we used to have to sit through... You know, you ever watch a show on Hulu and then they go through those same six ads like it used to be? Sort yeah. of, and you're like... <laughs> and, now, and, and the problem is now it's worse, it's just the same six yeah, ads. Yeah, yeah. But back in the day... It was like just part of the experience. Whatever you watched, whatever media you watched, yeah. you sat through 30 to 60 yeah. second commercials, five, you sat for five minutes, yeah. six minutes of commercials. 
And now those are all gone. Everything is bingeable and skippable. So if I have to get ads that are customized to my taste, that are trying to get my attention and are actually a little more informed than... Than you know, than ads of yeah. of the nineties and early two thousands, I'm fine with no, that. But the product is shit, is shit, absolute shit. The, like they sent like um, you mean all those like um, you know comfortable pants were never in style until today. Exactly, the ultimate yeah. pants, those are terrible. Exactly, yeah, yes. Uh, some, You're kind of right. They're all made of paper. Some of the stuff, like I, I mean, Sarah saw this dress that looked like this embroidered beautiful thing, and she ordered yeah. it, and it was like literally like like scanned on like a t-shirt uh, like it it didn't even look like the ad but it was like cheap and like not like so worth it. you're totally right so it's I a did scam this. it's I, a straight up scam yeah. I, yeah I did it with a pair of shoes yeah that got it said the perfect exactly. shoe exactly exactly waterproof <laughs> yeah a hundred percent waterproof I promise you you have you had just been searching for waterproof shoes on some other yeah, website yeah it heard me talk it was probably creepy That's but I was it. like these look great they look like they're so comfortable how yeah. could you go they were like the slip on kind yeah yeah I ordered them. And there was something terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I put them on and I walked around, they just didn't behave like shoes on a foot. They just, <laughs> they just, they just, they just started slipping in ways. Like the soles and proportions were yeah, very yeah. awkward. All of a sudden my foot, I was like, what is this? Yeah. And but, I wore them for like a day to try it yeah. out. And they are waterproof, <laughs> but it's made out of like a waterproof material that isn't comfortable for a foot. The company's budget is like 95% ads and 5% shoemaking. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly, and you're right. All that stuff. I mean, the truth is, all those pants they look real good. They look amazing, and they have the right models and yeah. the right brick walls behind them. And, and, you, and you're like, this this website looks so legit. So you ordered those pants, those perfect. Yeah, pants. and you're like, this looks so legit. It's like 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 all organically sourced. Sweatpants, jean, sweatpants, jean. You don't have to choose. Yeah, exactly. Combine them. Yeah, I've <laughs> never been happier. And like, and it's terrible. And they, yeah, they're awful. Yeah, they're, these aren't real companies. Right. They're, they're like they're like. They're like fabric companies that just start websites like bluepants.com, greenpants.com. You're saying but the models that are wearing those pants that I'm looking at are ba- are not pants. There's no manufacturer, there's no actual store behind it. They have to send you something. No, no, I'm I'm saying no, no, they send you something. And that model's probably wearing those pants, but it they make it seem like they're this big trusted brand mm-hmm. that only focuses on green pants. That they're all the rage. Yeah, like, yeah. I, until yeah. I discovered blue pant yeah. comfy tumpy. That vibe, I, that <laughs> vibe is yeah. like, oh, we can just we can just manufacture that vibe and people will buy this stuff. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so you actually have clicked the button and yeah, seen it. Yeah, no, I have like learned my best. What I do now is I go on Facebook we, and I find them on Facebook. And if they don't have like 100,000 likes on Facebook, mm, then okay. I'm like, oh, this, this isn't real. We should get sponsored by one of these sketch brands. That's what we should we do. We should do. <laughs> because you know why? They're great pants and they fit really <laughs> nicely and they're, and they're affordable. All these pants oh, are so expensive. Oh my God. Made out of construction paper and silk. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, drinking on the pot. Back here runs on Duncan, baby. Thank you so much, Thank Duncan. You, Duncan. Again, our good yeah. friends for sponsoring. I, can we get in trouble for that? Um, if, Eventually. If we, I think if they see this, it'll be a, a, like a good indication that we're on our way out of the dip. There's nothing like eating Duncan in hobo clothes. It just <laughs> felt like I felt like I developed a tremor just eating the sandwich that you got me. I was just like, <laughs> "Thank you." This guy, I was on the street last <laughs> night, um, and this um, yeah, unfortunate gentleman responded. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, can I can I ask you a question?" Like, you know, he wanted he wanted help, he wanted money, yeah. and the first thing he said was, "Thank you so much for for acknowledging me and giving me some oh. respect." And I immediately felt so good about myself. I was like, <laughs> "You can have whatever you want." <laughs> That's an interesting. It was a good. It was a good opening. I also. It was he was a homeless guy asking you for something. Well, was, yeah, I mean, he needed he needed, he needed help. He needed help. It's always hard, like. When I see people passing by homeless people or somebody asking for something and they just 
like completely pretend that they didn't hear anything and that that's weird too i i don't i don't feel like it's a virtuous thing that i say i'm sorry i don't have anything but mm-hmm. i always say that and i don't feel like i'm going the extra mile <laughs> you know i think it is though yeah i guess that makes you one but of the they get pissed people. If, especially if it's on Shabbos and I have nothing, and I'm like, I really yeah. don't have anything, because that's Sometimes. such a lie. <laughs> well, I don't have a lot. Of, I, don't have ca- I don't keep cash on me that much. It's like, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I rarely have cash on me. I, I keep fives and twenties, but I'm not giving a five or a twenty to that <laughs> guy. Um, I passed by a guy in the East Village, and I overheard him talking to a friend, and he went, "My cancer is officially in stage four. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> What do you what do you do if you're homeless and you know you have like a month? It must be like a party if you have a month to live and you're homeless. Just I mean, (laughs) go wild. That's a great thing to pass by hearing. It's not great. It's unfortunate. He's just saying his voice sounded awful. Mike Richards officially (laughs) in stage four. (laughs) I guess anything that makes life interesting is better than that situation. You know, it's a development. And I guess if things are so stagnant, my kid, he says it like, guess what? My, I made it. Like he made it in like the stages of his, oh God, that's so awful. Imagine being his doctor and giving him that news oh. and then being like, all right, I'm, I'm going back to the Rite Aid where I, where yeah, I, I sit. Oh, this is just awful. Thank you, Doc. Right, that's heartbreaking, but stage four, <laughs> like it's a badge of honor. Yeah. Oh man. Um, what else is going on in the world? Did you see, um, I want to talk to you. Last week about? Oh, no, so there, there's a couple of things I want to talk to mm. you about. The first is I want to ask you if you saw two guests on Joe Rogan. Now, people mm. are going to start skipping ahead at this point. Why? Did you see Gilbert, oh. Gilbert Gottfried on Joe Rogan? I saw a tiny, I saw one of the clips where he talked about SNL, and yeah. I was so intrigued just to watch because I'm like, what is Gilbert Gottfried going to sound like on a podcast? Yeah. Like, I, I, I think I've heard him speak down, but most of the time it's like this, listen, Joe, it's so nice to be on the podcast. I really enjoy it. Lots of guests, lots of people. You know, my Gilbert Gottfried, the first time I ever did it for you in the car, we were driving to Maryland, remember? <laughs> No. We were driving to Maryland, and you're like, Ami, do you do Gilbert Gottfried? I was like, okay, Jafar, listen. And you're like, Ami, you tickle me. That one one tickles me. Okay, you know what I don't understand? So, Joe. But it wasn't quite like that. I wonder if I just blew up the microphone. Okay Um, is great. Okay. Okay. You know what I... So, but on the podcast, it was more like, well, I was on SNL, and it was a little more tamed down like this. It was still... It's still him, yeah. but it's a little less. But it's his real voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's your head. Gilbert Gottfried at home with his wife impression. <laughs> what I'm laughing about is years ago, there was when Gilbert Gottfried was really mainstream. There was a Howard Stern episode, and I couldn't. And I I believed it till this day for a long time. There was a Howard Stern episode where he goes, you know, Gilbert Gottfried doesn't really sound like that. We have audio of Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> listen, listen to this tape. I interviewed Gilbert, and I don't do a good Howard, but he's like, I interviewed Gilbert. This is a this is a listen to how Gilbert Gottfried actually sounds. <laughs> this is a voicemail from Gilbert Gottfried. So they pull it up. He's like, Robin, pull up the voicemail from Gilbert that we got the and it was like. Um, hi, Howard. I just wanted to tell you that I'm really looking forward to the show. And uh, I, I just call me back when you get a chance, okay? And, 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 and Robin was like, no way. Yeah, that's Gilbert Gott. And, and I think it was a joke, obviously. Yeah. But for years, I, be- I thought it was a serious <laughs> clip. And I was waiting to hear some manifestation of Gilbert actually sounding like this. And then when he gets in the character, he talks like this. 
but he doesn't. Yeah. I think I think I just realized I'm like I think that was just a joke, and I, I thought about it for way too long a period of time. <laughs> that I thought Gilbert Godfrey this whole time has this kind of voice. But anyway, well, he was really just kind of like this tamed yeah. down, but him. He's like, do you remember that guy from the Police Academy movies with the uh, Bobcat? I think Bobcat Gordon. Yeah, He's, but he he doesn't really sound. What's like his that. name? Bobcat Fisher. Sure? Maybe I think Jerry he, Seinfeld hates him. Did you ever see no. that clip? Okay, keep going. Really? No, yeah. but but I've seen him, like that's like a fake voice. Yes. Yeah. I forget what he sounds like, but it's like. Right, right, right. But Family guys made yeah. fun of it, and I didn't get it because yeah. I didn't know who Bobcat was. Yeah. It's like when an actor wins an Oscar and they get up and they have like an Australian accent. I yeah, shocks no you. Yeah. Like, no idea. Um, um, yes, but what were you saying? You're saying uh, Gilbert's so, real yeah. voice. So, by the way, just to, before I ask you about the next guest, he has an awesome podcast. I think it's Gilbert? called. The, yeah, he has he has his own podcast oh. where he talk. He has this encyclopedic knowledge of old Hollywood. Uh-huh. He just talks about old Hollywood movies. He knows like every single story from like like the 40s 50s hollywood it's incredible like the actual movie or the behind the scenes like the behind the scenes you know when cary grant was taking a walk on set he actually sat down on a couch (laughs) and started banging (laughs) marilyn monroe yeah they were having intercourse during the shoot it was behind the camera and if you listen to bridge over river choir you can hear it (laughs) yeah 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 no he's like this um really like archive smart like Uh well-read like Dude, yeah, like in that one area, I guess. Right. Um, right. <laughs> He's a good comic too. He's like a. Good, Have you, I've never seen like a set. Um, like ever. I haven't watched so much of his stand-up, but I've seen some of his jokes written down. Oh like yeah, quotes of Gilbert Garvey, like jokes of his. He's like a very in the in the stand-up world, he's very respected as like a real comic. <laughs> we know yeah. him from these roles in movies, and yeah. he's had a good acting career in that way. He has like iconic roles. He's yeah. so distinct, but his stand-up and like. The stuff I've seen written, yeah. the jokes I've seen written are like really, yeah. really gross. I mean, very crude, very raw. Um, Imagine him when he was know. like a teenager telling people he wanted to be a performer. How mm-hmm. many people were like, dude, you can't do it? I don't know. What did he sound like? That If he sounded like he did now, then you, he couldn't be anything else. If, it's, <laughs> if you put that voice on, so. if that was him, you'd be like, right. dude, he can't do anything else. Um, Could you see him doing like shul announcements? <laughs> The okay. The sisterhood. Next week, we have a mazel tov for somebody who had a baby boy. Mazel tov to Richard and Fran Goldstein on the birth of a grandson. Mazel tov. Okay. Next week, the sisterhood is putting together young professionals banquet. Be sure to go and give some money. Okay. Shabbat shalom. Mincha today is at 545. Mariv at 7. Havdalah, <laughs> don't make a bracha till you see three stars, bitches. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> my, my next question was... Nobody else is downstairs hearing this podcast <laughs> because it's really... Sarah's going to be like, what the hell was going Why was Ami yelling at you? <laughs> yeah, what was the, other guess? the next question, did you see Ben Shapiro on Joe Rogan? I saw that he was on. You didn't uh, listen? Which one? He had a more. He's had him on several times. There was. He had him on like last week. Yeah. Um, last week. I've seen a bunch of the clips of Ben Shapiro, and I saw that he was on again. I'm trying to remember if I watched some of it. Did they talk about Meta in it? Yeah, they talked yeah. about Meta. Okay, so that was the episode. They talked about what you, what you said. Right. Right. I think that's where I stole it from. But <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Other what, what other notable things? They talked about the Israel-Palestine oh, conflict. Juicy. I didn't get up to that. He was, so the last person I heard talk about it was Barry Weiss on Tim Dillon, mm-hmm. and it was so, so painful. Cause like, Why? I like Barry. I, 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 I guess I like her too, but um, 
um, she was, she just was, it was like this rehearsed, like yelling at Tim Dillon about like how unfairly Israel's treated. It just wasn't effective. Like, mm-hmm. like you could tell Tim Dillon like was tuning out cause he's like, no. it just wasn't effective. I don't, I don't she know. She was talking, pointing him. She was talking to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Talking, pointing at him. Yeah. And, and, and like sort of like to the most, to the only democracy in the middle East. Yeah. yeah she yeah. has it. I mean, just like making no concession of like making no concession. And, and, and then, and then, what I mean by concession is uh, Joe Rogan. So Ben Shapiro was doing his thing, like very technical, but mm-hmm. he seemed like he was like, like Joe Rogan could hear it. And then that's the whole thing. Can the person who you're talking to hear what you're saying or not? Mm-hmm. And then Joe Rogan asked this awesome question. I thought, wait, cause, cause you know, he's Ben Shapiro and he's like, he's like, do you feel, can you like feel any sort of like sympathy though for like all these like Palestinians who are like dying, the kids and the, and like the women and the children, like, you know, like, don't you feel like a little bit bad? And I was, I was, I was like, Ben, Please just say something human. Please mm-hmm. say something human, and he didn't. And he, and he and you know he said like, well, there's I know a, what he said. There's B and there, and he just totally. And like besides for that, I actually thought he 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 would just he he just he just spoke effectively to his audience, um, and that was nice to see. I have to watch this, but the thi- I want to be able to respond. I haven't oh, seen yeah, it, but Joe is an it. expert at asking questions that are not le- that are that have no agenda behind them, that are just pure curiosity. That's Joe's genius. Is like. His questioning yeah, yeah, is yeah. curiosity, not yeah. what about the stuff. He's not trying well, to like make a Palestinian no, no, uh, I, argument. He's trying no. to ask, do you feel like it was a human question? Because no. I was also curious. I was like, I was like, I was like, do you feel anything for this? I, I would have assumed a response to that from a Ben Shapiro perspective. I didn't see what he said, so I, but that would be something like, well, of course I feel bad for them. But the, the question is yeah, accountability, no, right. Joe. Yeah, exactly. The question is accountability. Exactly. The suffering <laughs> of all these people. Yeah. Who's really accountable for that? Is it Israel or is it the Palestinian leadership that they've democratically elected yeah. for six years, yeah. Joe? You know, these, these people are, are, are victims. They're victims. Um, no, oh, no, you know, did he say that? No, no. He, he said the right thing, mm-hmm. but he didn't. You could tell. But he, he didn't was personally saying, feel bad. He didn't feel anything. And, yeah. and, th- and I think that's what Jordan was asking. Like, can you show that you feel something for for the people who are on the other side of this debate, but are are victims? And he couldn't. Um, and that sucked. Um, it did but, suck. uh, but otherwise, I thought. I thought Maybe I'm more like, right wing um, than you are, but I feel like I understand. I understand, I guess, Ben Shapiro's perspective more than yours. So here's what <laughs> And I'll tell you why. Yeah. This is what I want to talk about. The people on the right of this argument, let's say, uh-huh. the, the, the ardent defenders of Israel, yeah. and I would consider myself one of them, that, or at least I'm not out there publicly in that sense, but I mean, <laughs> those are the arguments that resonate with me, yeah. are looking at this whole situation, Israel-Palestine, as a war. Israel's at war. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's surrounded by enemy combatants that wish its destruction, and this is probably how Barry Weiss laid it out. But if you think of it with the framework of this is war, so it's not even the most necessarily relevant. I'm just flame, framing how it, I think, is processed. What's relevant here is that Israel wins the war. And that's justified because Israel is responding to aggression against it from people that wish it destroyed. States, not every person, not every human being, but the surrounding states so clearly historically have seeked Israel's destruction. They they don't want Israel to exist. I don't think I have to convince you of that. That seems pretty clear. The the leadership in the Palestinian uh, side certainly doesn't want Israel to exist as an entity. No matter what Israel says about Palestinians existing as an entity or a state, they have never really said they want Israel to exist. So as long as Israel's at war, then... 
if you apply that to any other war historically, you would say to the U.S. in the 40s, well, don't you feel bad for all these Germans who are dying at American hands? Like, isn't that something that keeps you up at night? And Americans would say, well, war is awful and people are dying on both sides, right. but our priority is to win this war so that it's over. Right. So Ben Shapiro's mindset is, sure, it's sad that those people are dying, yeah. but they're also dying because of, at the dying at the hands of our enemies that we are trying to protect against. We're fighting enemies, and that tends to paint every human being in that yeah. category. And it's not fair. I'm not, and it's not necess, It doesn't come across as humane. But war is just so inhumane as a concept, yeah. in the sense that war is awful. But yeah. there is an element of morality and justice in who's perpetuating it, who's defending, and yeah. who's 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 on the defense, yeah. who's on the offense. And it seems like because Israel's the powerful yeah. one, it's necessarily be on the offense. And I don't see it that way. Yeah. I see Israel as on the defense. Right. And therefore, when you see it that way, if North Korea attacked the United States yeah. um, tomorrow, and the yeah. United States responded, and a lot of North Korean civilians right. were killed, that would be that would be a sad cost of war. Right. But it wouldn't be something that necessarily is first priority in terms of the sympathies of the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I hear and, that. And I, its citizens. I, I, think, I think the difference is it's not... I, I think over the course of one war, um, most people are numb or truly don't really care about who's dying on the other side. Mm-hmm. But this is, all, this is like generational already. There's mm-hmm. been like several generations of, of people who are dying. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to litigate... I don't want to like... Uh, what's the right word? Uh, legislate how anyone... Ben Shapiro should feel. Mm-hmm. But, if you're, but at this point... It's 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 a bit of like a PR thing, and like show getting in touch with that side of his humanity would would, I mean, I think he should feel some sort of sympathy just for innocent victims, mm-hmm. but just getting in touch with that and even just emoting a little bit is just an effective way. It, it's it's a more effective way to be heard by the person on the other side of the table to be to be like. Yeah, it's freaking awful right. that these kids are dying. If my kid died, like I can't imagine mm-hmm. all those kids dying. It's awful. Right. Like just just saying something like that would ju- would just open up Joe Rogan's ears to be like, okay, like I want to hear what you have to say next. Yeah, but there's a sad, unfortunate state of reality in which, in order to feel like you are behind Israel a hundred percent, you have to make that choice but, and wall that right. sympathy off. And, and, and I, I don't can, think I don't think that leads to any. Yeah, no, I'm saying that, that that's sort of how you're brought up to feel about the situation on the pro-Israel side. It is, I agree. And what I'm saying is I can understand why the traditional war narrative that this is just a war is simplistic because this is years and decades and decades old. So it's not really a war in the sense that there's a lot of now complicated demographic factors and changes on the ground. It's an ongoing part of the culture of the Middle East now as opposed to just some war that we can all say, screw the enemies, we're going to just do do what we have to do and then be done with this war. Try not to think about it. but you could also argue that this is sounding extreme, but like Israel never doing enough to fully end the war and 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 defend its citizens to the without putting the citizens of uh, other states before its own mm-hmm. is what prolongs this thing. And that doesn't—I know that that can hint at being sounding very extreme, but it yeah. also could be like if you're if you're if you're always gonna half-ass it yeah. in terms of dealing with these symptoms, you're only treating symptoms and not yeah, the cause, yeah. and in order for warring states and factions to get past it, someone has to be like clearly victorious in a sense. And when that doesn't happen, you end up in endless conflict. I've heard arguments from people who make extreme arguments that they're like, Israel's not doing enough. Israel has to do more to finally ruthlessly end it. And in a way, there's something harsh about that, but it's also like war is hell and it needs to be done quickly and and be over with. Not these these 
concessions. It's pretty dark. It's interesting. It's dark. It's very interesting. It's but dark. Very dark. It's sort of the it's the argument that defends you know dropping the atomic bomb. Right. You know that it's that school of thought. Right. And I'm trying to think about that. I'm like, the okay, bomb. the atomic bomb. It was. It's, it's you know obviously the human human side. He was like it's the most horrible thing. Yeah. Also ended the war overnight. Two right. atomic bombs. It was over. And the only choices were bad and worse. In reality, yeah. when you're dealing with fighting and war right. and bloodshed, right. your choices right. are bad and worse. And, I mean, so it, that was a bad choice. The worst right. choice was sending in American troops. You know, this is the argument, sending in American... I don't want to say that. Right. It's not your argument, but people make this argument. It is, <laughs> it, it is in the sense that I'm not really... I, I can't come to a full conclusion on it, but yeah. I process that I think to understand it. It's like people say... Either the dropping the atomic bomb was an act of moral depravity or an mm -hmm. act of moral heroism. Because more people would have died if they actually would have went to war it's like, with Japan. You know, I've heard the argument from like the Anran types and stuff that say dropping the atomic bomb was an act of moral heroism <laughs> because the other option was to send in American troops. Millions of more people, hundreds of thousands more, would have died over the course of a prolonged war and conflict right. or dropping the atomic bomb. And they gave warnings to the Japanese at the time. This was the history yeah. that they talk about. Yeah. They gave warnings and said, we're going to do this. It's going to happen. And they, decided, right. and they still didn't surrender. And even after the first one, didn't surrender. And obviously, there's a million ways to right. split that story in different perspectives. I'm not even discounting that. Yeah. But I'm thinking about that one perspective for a second and saying, hey, choices are bad and worse. With Israel, choices are bad and worse. And instead of choosing bad, they choose worse. Is what I'm, and worse being yeah. this prolonged, indecisive, every couple of years yeah. conflict that swells up and they squash it down, get a PR mess for Israel. Yeah. Now, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, but I'm also not saying, hey, just do it. I'm not, I don't want to be so simple-minded as to say, as we've heard growing up from people, they need to. Just it is wait. simple minded, but but it's but it, maybe it's. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to even. Too. It's hard to entertain that idea, especially on a podcast publicly, yeah. because we're going to get. It's not destroyed. a kind of conversation. But I do want to be honest about it. I'm like, that's one argument. <laughs> yeah. And if you're thinking, and if we're starting from the premise of, war, I've never heard that before. Actually, if we're starting from the premise of war, yeah. then all these things that people float as Israel's virtues. Yeah. Right, like dropping pamphlets and warnings, and we only did this. We just demolished a house. We didn't do the, you know all these things that are compromising Israel's ability to have full security yeah. by not going the... People think that's an act, that, that's what it makes Israel's army great, and I've heard arguments that say that's what makes Israel's army weak and ineffective and mm. prolongs these things, yeah. that they don't make decisions in terms of, uh, you know, even as early as 67 and all that stuff. Right. We can go into the details of it, but the point is, yeah. the sad thing about... The sad thing about growing up with pro-Israel advocacy in your life, yeah. one of the casualties of that is you sort of have to wall off this ability to, sit, to, to sympathize with the right. other side because it humanizes them and then it clouds everything. So it yeah. makes the moral clarity of defense of Israel, right. you feel like you're at odds with that when you do that. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, and I yeah, think right. you're right. People would process the pro-Israel message more if, you could, if Ben Shapiro could just say, it's awful. Of course, that's the point. The human cost here is terrible. But I just, I behoove you to consider yeah. the idea that the suffering imparted on Palestinians yeah. is really not accountable to Israel as much as it's accountable right. and, to what's and, going and, on there. And that's what he was saying. That that, that was his but argument. But he didn't do which, it within, which But you didn't believe there was sympathy there and you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So 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 that one I want that one of that to lead to a broader conversation about Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Cuz I the fir I never heard his name before and then he was on the first episode of Joe Rogan I think I ever listened to. You never heard him before Joe Rogan? Of course you heard of Ben Shapiro. No, no, I never heard of him. Pierce no, Morgan, he was on the Pierce Morgan is what that went viral. I'm so not in that in that like cable news world, right. I had maybe seen his name a bunch. So and I'd ne I never listened uh, to Joe Rogan either. You ever see that viral clip with Dr. Drew and he grabs Ben Shapiro by the neck, the transgender uh, like no. military guy who was a transgender woman, 
No. And Ben Shapiro says, what are your genetics, sir? Because he keeps calling him he or something. Oh, I like heard that. about it. This is early yeah. Ben Shapiro days when he was a bit more like, you know, you know, snotty. Antagonistic. And, yeah, and he was just like, he asked a question to this, this woman, Zoe, transgender woman. Yeah. And she, he goes, and what are your genetics, sir? And he grabs him by the neck and goes, you try that again and you'll go home in an ambulance. <laughs> and he goes, that seems mildly inappropriate for political discussion. <laughs> He's so. <laughs> that is uh, very Shapiro esque. Very Shapiro. Um, uh, it's a viral clip. I can't believe that was like a huge. I think clip. I've heard of it. I, I really. Anyway, I so you saw him on Rogan. Whatever. I listened. I, I think I saw his name, and I was like, I should. I should probably listen to the Joe Rogan because my friends are telling me about him, mm-hmm. and I heard of this guy's name, so I listened to the interview, and I was actually like, oh, I don't get why this guy is controversial. He actually seems to be making like a lot of like sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, the more I listen to him, just the more the more frustrating is. And I'm trying to distill exactly what annoys me so deeply about him, and and I think it has to do with with like the his response to the Israel thing mm-hmm. also, where like for someone with so many opinions about other people and how the world should work, he seems to have. Does anyone have like a more narrow reference frame of reference? Does anyone have a more narrow frame of reference? In his own life than Ben Shapiro. He's like, you know, well, if people make less money, they'll find different jobs. Like, that's what people do. Like, he'll say, he'll say something like that. And, like, like, have you ever met someone who didn't make enough money and had to find a job? Like, I really don't think so. Like, you, you, it, it, I don't know the details of his life, but it seems like he's been living in, in a bubble. And then, like, he went to Harvard and he talks about how, like, going to Harvard was out of his bubble because it was, like, liberals. Versus, but, like, he's been living in these bubbles of very successful, wealthy, elite people. And like, does it doesn't seem to have any inch interest in going outside of that? Like, I just want to be like, travel to please just travel to India and like uh, South America and like Thailand for like six months on your own and like come back. Just like travel, please go travel and come back and and let's talk. You know, he was born in inner city Chicago with uh, like and very very poor for like ten he years. Says he was very poor, very poor. No, like he had nothing. He grew up in like uh, he didn't go to yeshiva. No, he went. He grew up in like urban development, uh, public housing. Had very little food growing up. Ben was Shapiro? completely impoverished for like uh, for the first ten years. Um, yeah, his father was ass- was like assassinated in front of him. Well, I didn't know that. I know. I made all that. Up. I made all of that up. <laughs> no, he said he said no, he, he said did go to yeshiva like, high like, school. We, we, we yeah. grew up very poor. I was like. He's like, he's like I, I, I shared a room with three of my siblings. I'm like, yeah, because your parents were paying $150,000 a year to send you to Yeshiva. You weren't like poor. No, I made up that whole backstory just to see how you would process it, <laughs> and it worked. That would be he pretty shocking. Yeah, <laughs> because you are right. The thing about Ben Shapiro that I find Thanks for listening, fair. by the way. I know it was hard for you to, to, to listen. No, actually not, not, because not. I, I, I'm with you. Ben is one of these guys that, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if, just because I would agree with him on paper, uh-huh. hanging out vibe-wise, he had a video about the Beatles that summed up everything you said. <laughs> I want to hear it, yeah. Okay. I think, on, I, I think as far as uh, arguments he makes, cogent arguments, rational debate, logic, and all those kinds of things, very, very strong. And we align in a lot of ways yeah. on a lot of that stuff. I also and he's like a great a spokesperson for that. On, on things like policy, things like economics, politics, those kinds of like technical, academic things... I don't think he says things that are terribly controversial, and I don't think he says things that are off base. I think there are a lot of his stuff is very well backed up in a lot of ways, obviously by conservative leaning people, but that's where I sort of lean. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the stuff he's quoting is the stuff I've read, and it's amazing. And it's all like right. very, very um, 
very, very sound. He builds and a, in, very intellectually strong. He builds a hell of a That's an why argument. he's a very good debater and he knows a lot of data and he knows a lot and he and he's very well read. He's very smart, clearly, high IQ, all that kind of stuff. His human experience is probably very narrow, likely very narrow. I mean, what you're saying, we understand his background and all of those things. So to to just say, to sort of disregard the human element of all of it. Yeah, which in he life, does. Um Yes, I think he just disregards the gray elements of life. Right. Like, but he also, what bothers you probably about him is that he pretends to not be aware of that. Huh. He acts as if he doesn't understand what, why he, meaning he might not be saying something controversial if you break it down, but sometimes he doesn't feel the need to break it down. Because he's like, I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's not such a big deal. That's, that, you know, he, he'll make like a point and he'll say like, even something I would agree with, biological man or biological man. That's a fact, and I'm not going to compromise on that. <laughs> um, do you want me to? And he's like, why do they call it the Boy Scouts? Because it's the Boy Scouts. And just when you do that, he's right. But to not acknowledge that there may be somebody else who is trying to come at it from a different perspective, and even if you disagree with it, you know, he sort of pretends like he can't understand why there would be, on any issue, and I use the transgender issue as one issue, but on any issue... How could there be a differing opinion? There's this, there's this sort of, he sort of blinds himself off to the idea uh-huh. that there is, or he comes off that way, that there is, a, <coughs> there is somebody else's experience which may inform them in anecdotal ways and personal ways that it doesn't inform you. Mm. And yet you talk about certain things with such authority or such unawareness. Yeah. Such a lack of awareness that there's this thing out there like maybe it's Palestinian suffering or maybe it's uh, income inequality and people who live in different environments and don't don't have the parental familial and communal infrastructure that breeds success well this is the way it's done now i don't think he's even wrong like i do think at the end of the day you have to adopt cultural behaviors and attitudes and ethics that can help you develop that applies to every group no matter who they are no matter what race creed color whatever he's not wrong on those prescriptions um but it's this sort of lack of awareness that it's difficult or that it may be more yeah. of a challenge. And he might even say on paper, well, I, I acknowledge that for some people it's obviously a little more challenging than others. Done. <laughs> there's no, there's no an, concession an to the... Right, no, yeah. I know. Yeah, there's yeah. none of that like human, like, yeah, I mean, I can... There's not, like, there's a lot, there's not so enough humility. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, everyone should have a dose of that. Yeah. But, like, when but it, he lacks a little bit of that. When he, the, thing, the thing he said about the Beatles, which I was just like... Yeah. Ben, 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 Ben. The vibe. Come on, man. You got to work on your vibe here. He was like, and it was a tongue-in-cheek video. The problem I get when I get into issues with Ben Shapiro is when he goes out of lane, when he steps out of turn. WAP. Exactly. Like when he talked about WAP and tried to make jokes about it. It's like, dude, there's a whole like culture and style of raunch and, and crude and nastiness that is expressed here. And you're just... You're, you're 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 in between making fun of it and not getting it and calling it bad for society. Like you're not saying, "Oh, this is such a turnoff for me." It's not for me. You're making this like overall right. assessment over how this reflects yeah. the culture and all these things. I'm like, dude, this is just a nasty rap song and it's well done. Yeah, obviously. You could say, "I hate this stuff." He won't say, "Ah, I really hate that stuff." Yeah. He won't say that. He'll say, "Okay, here's where here's the problem with where the feminine, you know, all that where the uh, you know feminine hierarchy is today. I mean, the feminists of yeah. third wave feminism. This is third wave feminism. It's like I don't think they're doing that. I think that you know, and, and I get when he comments on things like, like culture mm-hmm. and and art, and, anything and that has that any, of, anything to do with art, I guess art. 
you know, the he, human, human expression. Yeah. So he has this video, I'll get back to it, but he has this video on the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Which is like the Beatles are not real musicians. They're just not. They're just not real musicians. They can't even read music. He's criticizing John Lennon's Imagine lyrically. He's criticizing yeah. the message because it's about a communist utopia. Okay, and he's analyzing lines super literally with no right side brain involved. And he's like, you know, the, the, the truth is, the Beatles can't even read music. They can't even read music. So they're not even legitimate musicians. Okay, and he's going off about how they're not credible and valid. The Beatles. And I'm like, Ben, are you listening to a song right now? <laughs> it's like. And if I had one griped him, it would be a funny thing, because I'm sure if I was at a Q&A and I raised my hand, I'd say, Ben, you said something that I thought was really, really offensive and controversial, and this would be a funny <laughs> thing. I'd say, you did a video a few years ago, and he's probably assuming it's some comment on Arabs or minority, whatever it is, yeah. transgender <laughs> issues. Yeah. You did a video on the Beatles, and I thought it was just so offensive. And it would be a funny <laughs> moment. But the point is... I'm from Liverpool, and I actually found that. <laughs> yeah, the point is the way he criticized it is sort of exactly that. Yeah. You're like, there's a narrowness to it all. Yeah. Even if... Even if prescription-wise, it's, it's all correct, Yeah, I think. I know yeah. you don't have to agree with everything he says, but no, he may I, be I, making valid good points. There's, and you're like, well, what is it about it that's bothering me? It's sort of the way it's presented yeah. with the sort of lack of awareness of another experience, even if that experience yeah. might not... You might not be able to derive the same conclusions out of that experience that would lead to good results. It could be that prescriptively he's fine. Yeah. But it's almost like a doctor prescribing you things to do and what to do and doesn't really get how you're feeling. <laughs> Right, and doesn't ask or doesn't... I mean, there's a story... Bad I, bedside manner. Ben Shapiro's bedside <laughs> manner in the, in, the, in the cultural space needs a right. lot of work. I got better, but God, I don't want to see that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he actually has gotten way better at that. I mean, I've, I've watched his show over the years uh, come from like this whole combative to much more engaging with, other, with people who disagree yeah. with him, always letting people who disagree with him ask questions first. So there's this concerted yeah. intellectual effort mm -hmm. to engage with people who disagree with him. He always knows I have the right answer here, <laughs> and whatever it is. And oftentimes I think yeah. he makes very sound arguments, but the point is there's this, he had a, a, a transgender woman <coughs> on the show, Blair White, I think her name is, and they had a, and he clarified or at least evolved his position on why He's like, if I was with a, a transgender person who was presented as a woman, I would call them she, no matter what they were. If we were ha having dinner, I would call them she. You know? But the point is, when I'm on a public forum and I'm defending, you know, he said this. and I'm defending proper definitions of things, you cannot ask me to, make, to, to agree with the claim that gender is fluid and that anyone who's born male can then identify as female. I will stick to my guns on that because I'm making, I'm representing a certain point of view and a certain case for for biology mm -hmm. and for reason and, ration and rationality about these, this topic. Yeah. But interpersonally, socially, I have no problem calling someone she if they, sh if they come to me and present as a woman, really even if they were born a man. Yeah. And he had this like civil conversation with um, this woman, Blair White, transgender woman. Yeah. Um, and I don't see that on the left, ever. I just never see that in the hard left things, except mm -hmm. for someone like David Pakman. I don't know if you watch David Pakman. He's sort of a... He's definitely liberal, but he's like an open, like the Young Turks and stuff. You don't see like people on the Young Turks going on and chatting with them who are like right wingers or right. conservatives. It happened recently where Anna Kasparian debated Ben Shapiro, and I'm way in the weeds here on what I look at. Yeah. I don't know if you're <laughs> I don't lost. Know any of these names? But these no. are like you know the the the, the modern wharf battleground of yeah. media is Daily Wire, Stephen Crowder, right wing uh, new media and left wing new media, the Young Turks, David Pakman. Um, the Majority Report, Sam Sater. I don't know if you watch any of these I guys. don't know, literally. But it's I, all I've that heard new it. YouTube media stuff. And there's a left and a right. And I find that the left is way less 
way more like just teasing the right. <laughs> Look at Ben, I'm Ben, I'm Ben, without actually making arguments. They're just making fun of people. Yeah. Lots of ad hominem attacks. Granted, Ben Shapiro has a mug that says leftist tears. Ha ha ha. And he make, they make jokes about it. But oftentimes they're making arguments. And a lot of times I see them just, you know, uh, on the left making ad hominem attacks. They call Dave Rubin stupid. What an idiot. They don't like, they don't say why. Right. They don't talk about, like they, they just laugh together in this sort of assumed right. common knowledge. <laughs> the right is so stupid. We don't have to engage them. I'm like, I think you do. <laughs> I think PragerU is like huge now. And I think the younger generation, like I have friends who teach high school and they tell me that young, like Americans for Freedom is like surging amongst their What's kids. What's Americans for Freedom? It's like one of those like Charlie Kirk, like you know who Charlie Kirk is no. Candace Owens. <laughs> Candace Owens, I know. Yeah, her. I'm not a doctor. Not a Candace Owens. <laughs> <laughs> I have issues with her for. Uh, we've talked about that before, I think. Right. But the point is that young counterculture is very conservative. So to just keep making fun of them as if they're so primitive in their thoughts or whatever ideas is is a losing battle. Michael, say something. Fuck. Sorry. Well, there, there was a story that. Um, which I thought illustrated it well that Crystal and Cigar covered about um, this McDonald's somewhere in the Midwest um, and all the workers, they were making, I think, $9 an hour mm -hmm. and they were petitioning their their the owner who owned several McDonald's mm -hmm. where the workers made $15 an hour mm -hmm. and they were petitioning him for $9.45 an hour. Mm -hmm. and, they and, and at some point they realized he needs us more than we need him and we're all going to walk if he doesn't give us this extra $0.45 cents an hour. At a McDonald's franchise? He didn't. Mm -hmm. They all walked. They all got new jobs elsewhere. And then the next day, there was a sign up that said hiring new workers for nine dollars and forty five cents an hour. Like, okay. and w which is which is sort of this this cool economic story. That's how you read about it in the textbooks. If people don't like their jobs, mm -hmm. they go elsewhere. If if they if they get paid more money, if if you know the employer realizes that's the new wage, mm -hmm. you don't have to raise minimum wage. The owners will raise it themselves. This mm -hmm. is the new like going wage. But then Chris Lanzagar had, had had a good point where like that's that's the Ben Shapiro version of it. Like look, everyone's happy. The owner realizes yeah, I have to pay this much. They all get new jobs. They may actually make more. This is actually like a positive thing. Michael's doing an impression <laughs> on the podcast. Yay! We're rubbing it's, off. It's positive. It's positive. <laughs> um, but then Chris Lanzagar made a good point where it's like it's like yeah. But these people liked working together. They were friends, mm -hmm. and like this place, this place operated really, really well because they enjoyed each other and they felt accountable to each other. They were friends with each other, families. They would like invite each other to functions and stuff. And now they're all just kind of separate, and mm -hmm. this and this place has to learn how to operate again. Mm -hmm. And like, there's that other part to the whole story. That that someone like Ben Shapiro, I think, just really can't understand or, or wrap his head around, and and it's it sort of brings it back to like the like you know like the the opi the opioid crisis. Like there's this there's this ex ex what's the right? extern externality? externality yeah cost externality to, you know to something like the Afghanistan war where you have people coming back and 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 they they like encounter despair. And and they start to like um, you know abuse abuse opioids mm -hmm. and like kill themselves and like that's the part of like this really like autistic view of of the economy like someone like Ben Shapiro will like go out and celebrate that like it it's um it's a shame that he that he he can't wrap his head around that part of it yeah but I think the angle you're taking that criticism is misunderstanding fundamentally most of these arguments Ben Shapiro represents mm -hmm. which is that there's this view. Um, there's this view amongst left-wing critics of this stuff that if you don't think the government should do it, you don't think it should be done. That just because you don't think the government or the state should mandate something or should regulate or should get involved means you're against that thing that they are espousing to be for, you know, like raising wages. Ben Shapiro's not saying 
it gets confused because he's like, I don't believe in minimum wages or things like that. It's not that he thinks that that employer should have stuck to his guns and not raised the wage. He's just saying it should be a decision that's made between them and the government should not come in and mandate a minimum wage that is a massive cost and a moral issue. First of all, you're telling somebody who is the owner of that property, that McDonald's, what he can do with his or her property. Mm -hmm. And then economically speaking, if you artificially set some price without any knowledge of the you know, situation of the yep. labor market that the person's dealing with, you artificially set a price, you're imposing a massive risk and a cost that he might get a bunch of machines instead and hire six people instead of eight yeah. people. The point is, whatever happened in that situation, he also, if that's true, what Crystal Nussagar said, that the rapport was destroyed and he has to build it back up, then that employer suffered a cost for it. And he, he might have made a strategic business mistake. But, but, but then... But then Gotcha. There, no, no, there's a, it's less efficient. It's more efficient to do it this way. Um, but long term, the, the, the effect that it takes on the culture is, is more harmful than, than that breach of government responsibility with, with the owner. I think I, I I hear I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I also think of, of like the government shouldn't tell anybody how to how to run their business. Mm -hmm. I I just have a feeling that that argument comes from the owners who don't want anyone telling them how to run their business, not the workers who just sort of want to you know have a livable wage mm -hmm. and like enjoy their lives. Like that's a narrative that serves one side of that really 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 well, and. And not the other side of it, and and it's it's crafted by those people for those people, by the owners for the owners. I don't think it's crafted by them. I think there's I, a reality of economics, and there's the there's the wishful thinking of economics. In places that have some of the highest minimum wage, you also have economically the highest youth and unskilled worker unemployment like one out of four in France, some staggering statistics that as you artificially just decide, hey, we're just going to set the minimum wage here. We all can understand why we wouldn't set the minimum wage at $100 an hour. Why wouldn't that work? It just wouldn't work. You wouldn't be able to pay that amount. You wouldn't generate <coughs> enough income to do that. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't be able to hire anybody. So it's a matter of degree. But if you artificially raise the wage, that's going to affect how many people you hire. Maybe one less person gets a job. And if turns out that with minimum wage policies, most of the time what you find is that the least skilled workers end up getting priced out of the job. So it's good for those people who get to keep their jobs at a higher wage, but you end up hiring less people. You get machines to do work that otherwise a person can't do. You're taking choices away from people who have very little choices to begin with. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, listen, I can't hire you at 12 an hour, but I could hire you at six if that'll work for you. And if a person who has six or nothing says, I'll take it, when, it gets on, when you get on, this is very Ben Shapiro-esque, I understand, but getting, on, getting on the job training when you're very young and learning the ropes and learning how to show up on time and be responsible and do yeah. all those kinds of things, the human capital you develop. If, if arguments for, for minimum wage were true, then everyone would just get a minimum wage, if you think about it. Like, why wouldn't employers, these greedy employers, just keep everybody at these minimums? Why do wages, wages ever rise without government getting involved? It's because over time, as people develop more skills and become more competitive and have more options of where to work, you have to raise their wages to keep them and to retain them. It's like that's the negotiation that happens, and these are just prices of, of, of certain types of labor, mm -hmm. and that has to be left to its own devices, in my opinion, because if you distort that, you create all of these issues where you get labor sh uh, shortages, and you, get, you, have to f f uh, you can't hire as many people, mm -hmm. and you can't hire as many unskilled people, and those are the people who need it the most. So while 
I think there's a lot of liberal policies in which people pat themselves on the back. We got the 15. They don't actually care or aren't interested in what happens. So you could say the autistic and what happens after the fact. The autistic view of the world on the right is that they don't seem to care for the sympathy of the current conditions of things. And the autistic view on the right, or the just detached view on the, on the left, excuse me, the detached view on the left is that we don't care what happens after our feel-good policies get put into place. Mm-hmm. We don't care. Right. There are so many detrimental things that happen, and a lot of the conservative economists that I've read have pointed all this out. Like, hey, it felt good to do all those things that felt good and sounded good. Mm-hmm. What happened afterwards? Well, youth unemployment skyrocketed. Minority unemployment skyrocketed. All of these things happened. But they're not so interested because they passed the law. It felt good. Right. Yay! What if there was a branch of government that just focused on this one McDonald's? <laughs> well, that would be an Maybe awful that's waste of resources. <laughs> I wish I was smarter. I, 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 what so I, I've what been I compelled by that. Do. I'm like, look, all this stuff sounds good. Who would yeah. be against health care for all? How could you be against something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Until you find out that doing these kinds of things in a world with scarce resources yeah. that have all these alternative uses for things, a price system is really yeah. important to right. just convey information. And the, the economy is this own thing. And you get involved in that in, in ways that you, in reckless ways, you have a lot of disasters. So, so I would say I, I hear that. I hear that and 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 I appreciate it and I think and I agree with it. I I would make the same argument back that the government staying out of things long term also has these awful cultural and has this awful human toll. Mm. Like, you know, the opioid crisis is like the government staying out of of things in in certain ways. Interesting. So like there's I think the government staying out has tolls on on both ends, but I it, it That's has, an interesting topic. I don't know yeah. enough about the yeah. or, right. origins so I, of opioid crisis crisis and and what's going on with it? Well, it's just, you know, it's it's like I mean, it's, it's these I, I don't know either the details really, but I mean, it's these like manufacturing companies mm-hmm. leaving the Midwest because like globalism is good mm-hmm. and then just leaving these towns to die. It's like the government not saying, you know, you have to stay here and manufacture here. Like, you know, that would be pretty radical for the government to force a company to do that. Mm-hmm. But them staying out of it just guts these towns and these people and these families. Right, right. This guy uh, Hazlitt. And what's the long-term effect of that? Famous economist Hazlitt, Henry Hazlitt, who wrote Economics in One Lesson, said you have to acknowledge the one problem on of these arguments is one has to acknowledge that in the process of creative destruction, mm-hmm. there is this lag period and there are people who slip between the cracks and right. that's a real thing. So you can't just pretend that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, well. this, uh, this uh, rabbi I was listening to, he was talking about slipping through the cracks and he's like, mm-hmm. how big are these cracks that tens of thousands of people are slipping through them? <laughs> Maybe it's just the system. Right, right. <laughs> that, that system is one big crack. Yeah, the system But I, I would argue that every crack. time I've, been, I've looked into it, granted I have now my confirmation confirmation bias fully set in at my age and what I've, you know, it's like the first ideas that get to you sort of have the, like the strongest sticking power. Mm-hmm. Like the first, if you read Marx when you're 25, you'll, you'll come out with a certain outlook. Yeah. If you read Ayn Rand when you're 25, you'll get there. And it's hard to change, I think. So mm-hmm. I'm acknowledging that. So with that said, when you investigate the root of these longstanding issues, oftentimes it's prolonged government involvement, regulation, over-regulation, intervention that has led to these cultural right. decaying problems right. in which markets so, can't bounce back, people don't adjust because there's, there's limitations on taxis. You, how, you know how much, it, like it, to get a medallion, it costs like a million dollars, which protects an upper strata of people who can afford those medallions and keeps certain people here because they can afford the medallions. But that only exists because of the law. The law says, well, we want to make sure taxis are safe. Uber comes along yeah. and tells you and shows you no, and like yeah. disrupts that because until it became regulated. But 
did it? I'm bullshitting. Now I'm in bullshit territory. I don't know what the hell's going on. I think next Halloween we should do like a bizarro episode where you had read Marx instead of Ayn Rand. Yeah. At 25 and see and see where you'd get. But my, my point is a lot yeah. of these deep-seated long time. If you look at the issues in society and anyone who's listening to us who's more left-wing or whatever is probably going to become infuriated here yeah. with my simple-minded right-wing Leave ideas. Leave comments, please. Please. But education, healthcare, um, housing, a lot of issues where the government involves itself most is where you see these decades long right. wasted money resources pouring over and they keep saying, oh, we just need to do more. We just need to do more. We just need to do more. And you see these longstanding lower uh, quality services and more like, more expense. It gets more expensive with time and lower quality. And in the areas where it has the least amount of regulation and government involvement, technology, um, Anything else, yeah. automobiles, whatever whatever it may be. If you yeah. just look at areas of the marketplace where over time you see reduced cost, it gets cheaper and better quality. The only areas where that phenomenon is reversed is when the government is involved, which doesn't allow for dynamic market forces, ingenuity, these kinds of things, because the government says, oh, we have to regulate that. It takes time. There's all of these, there's all this invisible stuff that people don't see on the outside that is oftentimes causing a lot of these. Uh, problems mm -hmm. and delays and lack of ability for standards of living to rise. So, um, I'm right. We're going to have to have a <laughs> Weinstein on next week. Yeah, somebody with a little bit more of this. I don't know, I've read guys like Thomas Sowell and uh, Milton Friedman and all these people. They've shaped a lot of my thinking. That's yeah. for sure. Fully yeah. confess that. But I, I've yet to hear arguments that really I find so, so persuasive. A lot of times when you're arguing, when you hear arguments of the left and the right, it boils down to, well, it just shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just wrong. You know, oftentimes right. people who, who, who have more left-wing sympathies or something like that you know, or, or, or resonate with that, that just seems wrong. It's just as wrong that someone has a billion dollars. It's just wrong that it's sort of this cosmic injustice of yeah. the world. That's not really such a compelling argument for economics. You're, you're arguing about the world as is, yeah. and the conservative premise is often how do we come up with solutions with the world as is, and the, and the, and the liberal you know, perspective is, no, how do we ideally design this utopian society that we can strive to at all costs? So our friend Ides... See, I'm being gracious. With our you. friend Ides, I think, yeah. I think can, is really well-spoken about this. Maybe for episode 10, we'll he's have dude, him on. Dude, and, he's, uh, been, he's due. I'm going to tell the folks, but he's been yeah. texting me, just brutalizing me like crazy. <laughs> I want to I, Do you want to see that? I want to see that. Yeah, just like sending... <laughs> All right, and then, and then I have a topic we can close on okay. after this. He says to me something like, I say to him like an idea like that, like I just told you, and yeah. that's how I just feel, like generally speaking. It? Um, is this allowed to read other people's texts? Well, he's going to come on the pod. Yeah. He's yeah, he's been, we, we wanted to have him earlier, but we decided it was better What's to just good, uh, us two book? for a little while. Okay. And, th and then we'll move on to a different topic. Okay, here's some texts from a good friend. I, I hope he's okay with this because this is so funny. Um... I have to find something good. I did understand it. I couldn't disagree more strongly with it. Also, long there's some funny ones here where he said, like, oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, uh, oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I, I'm he's stalling. In, he's engaged. I mean, in the podcast. Oh, yes. He's, he's loving it. Human. Oh, he tried. He said he called me Ben Shapiro at one point. He's like, well, <laughs> and or he said that just sounds like a Ben Shapiro thing. I'm like, um, maybe. Oh God, I, I I went too far back, dude. I went way too far back. All right, so maybe we'll. Um, uh, he just said something along the lines of, basically, like, wow. 
The only people who believe that are libertarian fucktarts. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like him. <laughs> you know, so we got to have him on. Effective. Anyway, sorry. I so, was looking for something good. But he basically said, wow, I can't believe someone would believe that. The only people, the only people I've heard making those arguments are dumb, fucking, fickle, unfeeling libertarian fucktards. He also, but, he, I, but he said, like, you got to read more, dude. You got to read more and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's not fair, Alex. You like reading. It's a, it's a huge disadvantage. Yeah, you've never read anything I sent you. You don't. You don't consume content unless it's video form. Me? Yeah. I That's read Schmuller Batak's Kosher Sex, My Year in Israel. <laughs> that was my first book. I don't... I do. Yeah, my first book. Good. Yeah, other than everything else... <laughs> Everything else was um, spark notes in high school. Yeah. Everything, yeah. like Catcher in the Rye, yeah, all spark me too. notes. I didn't read in high school. And then when I got to Israel, I picked up a copy of Shmoli Bateach's Kosher Sex. He'd Link in the bio. He'd come on the podcast. Link in the bio. <laughs> he would. He would love Link to come on, on the podcast. We're going to talk about kosher sex and kosher <laughs> sutra and all the different things. You know, only in, in Judaism, sex is, is held to a very high regard. Ah! Um, you got a little on your uh, some microphone fuzz. You oh. got it. I think you got it. Yeah. Um, in any event, yeah, so, he would come on. That'd be such a fun one. We should, we should ask him. We'll tell him we have like a million views. I like what that. He's not going like to look into it. Why don't we just like, we'll crop. I can Photoshop a million on our things, send a message. He'll come on promoting a new book. Uh, yeah, he'll zoom in, in at Kosher doggy least. style or something like that. <laughs> um, but the point is I did read that book and I have read a bunch of books, yeah. but most of the books I read are only to kind of reinforce my current opinion. What are we at now? Because there's a there, that's funny. Um, there's a uh, topic I want to I want to talk about if we, we still are, have time. Let's let's wrap up here. All right, cool. So so there's this really cool project, and I think it's wrapping up this week. I just wanted to talk about. It's called Constitution Dow, ConstitutionDAO.com, mm-hmm. um, and it's this new thing called the DAO. That do you know what that is? Department of Assholes organization? Exactly. Yeah. Um, it also stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, an incredibly exciting facet of crypto that that is not like getting quite its due. So everyone knows about NFTs mm-hmm. and uh, Bitcoin and all that. But there's something else that this technology can do, which is very, very cool. And like the real tech heads, like tech nerds, um, are, are like obsessed with it. And so there's, there are these things called DAOs. Um, and this particular DAO is trying to pool money together from as many people that want to give in order to buy the last privately held copy of the U.S. Constitution that's going for, up for auction at uh, Sotheby's. Okay. I think, I think it's like in, in like a week what or two. What is a D? Can you define that for me? So D- uh, a DAO is um, – and I again, I'm, I'm like just – I'm still learning about it. Mm-hmm. But in the same way – Compared to a Kickstarter, basically, mm-hmm. um, with a Kickstarter, if they go, if 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 you start a Kickstarter, like, hey, we want to start a podcast, we want to raise a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, I give my money to Buckle Up mm-hmm. Kickstarter, and then once I give my money, we we can pretty much do whatever we want with the money. If we decide to put it towards a podcast, then that's great. If we decide to go buy like two Ferraris, like I don't, maybe Did they make a return on this investment. With Kickstarter, yeah, I guess, I guess there's some sort of like. Oh, it's just like give me money to do what I no, need. I'm, I'm talking about. Well, I'm starting with Kickstarter. Yeah, it's like yeah. give me money to do what I need. Mm-hmm. You give the money to to the creator, and then and then and then you and your money separate. Yeah, it's like, the discretion of the person receiving it to do what. Exactly. It so what a DAO is is through the blockchain. Once you give your money, you receive a token, and you can use that token to then have governance over what's done with the money. So. They're raising. They're trying to raise at least, I think, twenty. You million, have a vote. Twenty million you become dollars. Become a stockholder. Exactly. It's it's so it's it's a governance 
it's a it's a way to govern sounds like an IPO money like, like a like a crypto IPO you all own a piece of it and I, you can all have exactly a vote. exactly and and then, and then you can use right that tokens so 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 you like that so finance language that I know that was nice so they're so they're buying the constitution and then everyone who donates money is then going to be able to vote on how on what's done next with it so like are they going to rip it up. Are they gonna put it on display here? They could put it on is display there. Is this an original constitution? Like I don't this know. is I, apparently there were eleven copies of the of constitution. Original, the first one. I, yeah, I didn't know that. And then one of them is owned by one dude somewhere or a woman, the, and he's putting up for sale for twenty million dollars. This whole thing sounds like a premise of a movie that you would come up. So with. that's why it's perfect. It's it's like a national treasure thing. So it's it's like cool. It's interesting. It's wild. It's absurd. So it's getting a lot of attention. Um, but these deals are extremely cool because unlike a corporation where there are like a few powerful people at the top and yes there are shareholders but you can also have shares that have more power than other shares mm -hmm. like Mark Zuckerberg's shares of Facebook allow him to vote right. much more powerfully so than how many me. tokens you get give you more of a say right but all the tokens have the same amount of power so I, what I don't understand, so, so, so if I donate a million dollars I have a million tokens and that gives me more voting power what I don't understand is is how maybe a billionaire could just donate a billion dollars, have all the voting power, and how that's really much different than a corporation. That's the part I don't, I don't get. Mm -hmm. But either way, these things are really cool because it's, it's, it's a really efficient way to raise tons and tons of money, um, which can lead to these incredibly like enormous technological shifts. So in the same way, the railroads, the railroads wouldn't have been able to be built until they Carnegie uh, Carnegie uh, until they invented the stock market from what I understand because mm. you couldn't raise that much you capital. couldn't raise 150 million dollars mm. like in any way except for going public and getting all that money and, and then once you had all that money you could build something as vast and massive right. and insane as a railroad so if you could raise a trillion dollars or you know 250 billion dollars through a DAO um, let's say, let's say, like we're gonna build a space rocket, like a a, a, a rocket, mm -hmm. and everyone who donates to the rocket is gonna be able to to govern what we do in space. Like, where are we gonna go? We're gonna go to Mars. We're gonna go to Jupiter. We're gonna go to DC, whatever it is. Um, it's it's really cool and really exciting. So when are we announcing the <laughs> DOA for uh, the <laughs> podcast right, for so, our hundred billion dollar investment? So if but we, then they would have to tell us what we can do. Right. So that would be cool if, if if everyone who gave us money was like, these are the topics I want. I want to discuss. Let's vote on them. But yeah. but anyway, to bring it back to the original thing about um, governments getting involved, mm -hmm. the way this guy explained it, who's running this this project, is that it's very inefficient. It's not the most efficient way to put out it to a vote to everyone who's involved. Mm -hmm. So it's things can get done less efficiently and less quickly. However, there's a floor where it can't be corrupted. Mm -hmm. And so you put up with that inefficiency in order to guarantee nothing can ever get corrupted, which is sort of like the, I think the question people are asking about democracy now, where it's like we're doing these things to be very efficient, but there's this corruption has leaked in that is sort of souring the entire thing. I would just argue that we're not looking at a chessboard society where everybody can just be moved here yeah. moved there moved there yeah. oftentimes there's this outlook that okay so we just move this piece here and it just stays but this piece here has its own will has its own incentives has its own interests and this piece here has his own interests or her interests or whatever these are human beings we're dealing with and the person me moving them is subject to influence and i have my own interests and as long as those things are competing and then you're giving some people power over other people the government is just 
a bunch of other people yeah. that we're granting power to to make decisions over us. Right, right, right. So and, and corruption is inevitable. And that's and the opposite is, of, the D, of, of a DAO. Correct. So the corruption is built into the cake because as long as you're giving not human beings who are corruptible, and even, even not in a negative way, they just have their own political incentives yeah. and you have your own, your own incentives, market incentives, political incentives, it's corruptible. And if you give the ability, if you expand that ability of the government purview over certain areas of life then the, then what inevitably happens is people lobby those areas of the government to curry in their favor my argument would be get the government out of those areas of life so mm -hmm. that their influence is marginal on those areas of life because they're inevitably corruptible even with good intentions and even if the good intentions do get through to the right people there are always costs to those things that are unseen like I was talking about before, like minimum wage that can lead to those <coughs> kinds of consequences that we don't see. And then the person who was responsible for passing that policy, it's not like they're punished for it, for all that unemployment that happened. They just move on to the next cause because it's hard to connect the dots. Mm. So as long as you have human beings ruling over other human beings, my belief is their job should be to simply protect people from <coughs> their rights being violated. Right. A protector of those rights from other people so that people can't screw you, steal from you, rob you, hurt you, whatever. That's the main role of a, a body that has coercive power. Because mm -hmm. we're not dealing with just this benign, you know, benign, you know, om you know, omnipotent sure. entity that has that is all seeing, all knowing and can and can just make these kinds of decisions that all we have to do is create this perfect, there's always a cost to that. And then the people themselves are corruptible. So in the in this case of the crypto, like the whole idea is that there's this Self, there's this mechanism in the blockchain that makes it not corruptible right. so that no one can exercise too much power. And it's all voluntary exchanges between people. So you're not actually granting power for people over everyone just because you're granting a vote. I understand the analogy. The main difference being you're granting this certain people coercive power over yeah. other people. As soon as you introduce that force element into it, I can, because at the root of it all, you know, what backs up government is the ability, is, is the gun, is mm -hmm. the ability to say, if you don't, listen to what we're saying or if you violate records we could take your property we could take your freedom and take your, and we can put you in jail yeah. and that makes it an entirely different category i think in terms of human interaction my last question for you is what would it sound like if ben shapiro and gilbert Gottfried had a baby oh i love that we're gonna end on this <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean jafar seriously i mean aladdin is poor <laughs> right? He's underclass, he's underprivileged. He needs to work harder if he wants to become a prince. I mean, doing it this way by fraud and deception is just wrong. That's just Ben Shapiro. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I just shifted into that. That's just Ben Shapiro. So Wait, how, how would Gilbert Gottfried say what Ben Shapiro says? I like that. Okay. It's very, very simple. Okay. If you want to do well in life, work hard. Don't have a kid before you're married. Okay. Stay. Children out of wedlock is causing the number one problem. The problem is culture. Okay. Combining the two is very, very difficult. I guess it's Gilbert Gottfried talking very fast. That's a, that's a fusion impression. That's very, very weird. Okay. I mean, dude. You know, you know how Ben Shapiro drops dude every two seconds when he's talking to Yeah, because he tries to sound like yeah. relatable. I mean, dude, dude. It's like, if you're poor, I mean, dude, dude. Just like, get over it. Get over yourself, okay? Dude. That's like his curse word. Dude. He, he, dude is his curse word. He, Love you, Ben. He used the phrase macking it, like talking about like guys and young girls. Oh, and God. I was like, oh, God. I think you also just know it too well. You know this guy. You come from this world. So you yeah. feel like he's also shedding light on your world. So you're projecting this self-consciousness. Yeah, it is. It is. You're like, oh, God, please don't let them know how pathetic we are. We're such losers. And Not you're just out us. there repping. You're repping for the Yidden. And you're, oh, please don't let them know that we say backing it. And ben, dude, ben, if you're listening, just stop. We No, we'd love to have you on, Ben. We would love to have yeah, you on oh, the yeah. show. I mean, don't stop with everything else, but come on the show. And do your thing. And do your thing. Yeah. Good guy.
Great guy. Good hey, guy. I, hey, I don't have this. You Again, I, like, I said I like most of his ideas, just yeah. the, the way he... And he would it's run amazing circles. That, he, would make, he would make me look so stupid. Like, I, he would I run circles it. around run circles, me. But it's amazing, I would just say, that, two, that you're, as a pro-Israel person, <laughs> you were made anti-Israel by two pro-Israel advocates. <laughs> That's what I took away. Barry Weiss and Ben Shapiro turned you into a Jew-hating, <laughs> anti-Israel, you know... Uh, activist so um, the, yeah maybe one guy at a time come on and uh turn me back around yeah <laughs> i think we have to get this guy rudy you got you ever see this guy rudy rudy, rudy talks rudy talks on instagram i think it's rudy israel he's like this uh was he the guy smarty? who got um he got trapped in nigeria he got arrested in nigeria i think so yeah let's have him on that'd be fun <laughs> he's good he'll convince you he does it i'm glad we're ending on that it's he does diff- exactly that yeah he does the right thing and harry rosenberg as well no, I'm serious. No, no, no. They have a, a, a like. They're, I just it, didn't see that uh, one coming. They have, no, no, because they're friends. I, I see they? on Instagram, they're friends. They have, they have a message of like love. Yes, and it's exactly. like we have to love each other. So and that's his arguments we'll are so this. unfalsifiable because every time someone tries to pitch him, <laughs> no, Rudy's are unfalsifiable yeah. in a sense. He's so good at arguing with people because when he gets into it, the second they try to pigeonhole him into his sort of caricature corner, yeah. he says, "I know, I agree with you. What's happening to them is terrible," and they go. Say what? <laughs> and then he's actually much more persuasive. You're right. I would think. I meant just about. <laughs> Buckle up, episode seven, everybody. Number seven, baby. We're agreeing. Yeah. Let's have Rudy on. Let's and have Rudy ben. on. Rudy does exactly what you're talking about. There's only, there's yeah. The only person I can think of, I'm glad we thought of him. Yeah. By the way, I want to say one thing. Um, a friend of ours asked if we're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify and, and Podcasts. So if you want to listen to this instead of watching it, mm-hmm. um, just go on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher. We're there. Um, we're there. Yeah. We're there. All right. You know what this means, Michael. <laughs> Buckle up, baby. Okay.